You might feel the same way that most Christians feel, which is you feel this tension and responsibility of sharing your faith in your workplace or in secular environments, but you don't do it maybe for a fear of doing it poorly or maybe coming off as this unrelevant weirdo because we've all seen that and we don't want to be that. Well, today's guest, Katie Axelson, is from the podcast Have Hope Will Travel, and she shares how she does this and shares her faith effectively and reaching her coworkers at work, as well as some of the lessons she's learned on how not to share your faith at work or in a secular environment. She's a published author and a licensed pastor, and she loves to link arms with women and men and help draw them closer to Jesus. So let's jump in and listen. This is actually a really, really practical uh, episode. I think it'll really help those of you who work in a non-Christian environment. Hi, and you're listening to Java with Jen with your host, Jenilee Samuel. Now, real quick, before we jump in, I wanted to just offer a couple shout outs to those of you who are leaving these super encouraging reviews. You guys, we have a 100% five-star rating on podcasts on iTunes. So thank you, first of all, for the love. But secondly, I just want to call out the sweethearts that are leaving these reviews. This one is from Big Rocks MG. And he says, or she says, um, empowering and fun. I started to listen to Jen's podcast a couple weeks ago. And as a man, okay, so it's a guy. I have to say they have me laughing, thinking, and leave me empowered. Add it to your list. Thank you. I think I know who that is. I think that's Mario. Thank you, Mario. Mario actually had me on his show and we're waiting for that episode to drop. So I appreciate it, buddy. Um, Another one is from Wesselin. And she... Uh, was talking about episode 17, which was championing change about racism. She said, this is my first time listening to Java with Jen, but will not be the last. Jen saw it necessary to reach out to Bria, an African-American woman, during this tough time in our country. By her simply wanting to get Bria's point of view and try to understand what black Americans are going through right now really means a lot to me. This planet needs more people like Jen. If you're wondering what you can do as a white person in the midst of the racial issues in this country, listening to this podcast is a great start. Wesselin, you're a great writer. You really put your thoughts together so beautifully. Um, and thank you for that review. That is just really encouraging and very um I'm just really thankful that it touched you. So with that said, you guys, thank you again for rating and reviewing. This is a huge way that you yourself as the listener are helping to get uh, the word out about the podcast and getting people in here. And you guys, listen, I've already gotten some testimonies about how these different episodes have impacted people's lives and and brought change. I need to pull some of those testimonies in like these reviews because I think it'll encourage y'all. So thank you for doing that. And if you haven't rated and reviewed um, the podcast, I would uh, ask that you consider it. No pressure. You don't have to. But if this has been a blessing to you, I would love for you to do that. And let's get on with the show. All right. Thank you, Katie, so much for joining me on today's show. It's so great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Okay. So 
For all of my wonderful listeners, Katie Axelson um, is a wonderful woman who I met through a network of other podcasters. And when she saw a little bit about me and I saw a little bit about her, we were like, oh my gosh, we're the same tribe. This is amazing. And so I'm going to let Katie introduce herself because she'll just do it better than I do. But you guys, this woman is rich with wisdom and experience um, and knowledge of the word. And so it's an honor to have her on here. So Katie, go ahead and introduce yourself to my listeners. Thank you so much, Jenny Lee. I appreciate you having me on today. I am a writer and a pastor by trade, so I love linking arms with women, especially. I don't mind linking with men, too, but to help them take steps closer to Jesus, and that talks about learning how to read scripture, learning how to hear God's voice, which I know is one of your passion points, um, living out our Christian faith in everyday life, which is part of what we're going to be talking about today because I actually have a a 40-hour-a-week secular job. And so what does it look like to be a Christian in a secular job and playing through that? And then I host a podcast called Have Hope, Will Travel, which is built around the idea of stepping closer to Jesus, but then also the idea that when we travel, we get to know people who are different than we are. So we get to hear their stories and see their perspectives, and all of a sudden the world becomes a smaller place. And we learn to stand with people instead of taking an opinion on on issues. So that is the design of the podcast, is to give individuals who are voices that we don't normally hear space to share their story. That's awesome. That's so great. Now tell them a little bit, you have quite an impressive education behind you. <laughs> Thank you. So my undergrad degree is in English. It was actually a double major English and Spanish with a minor in American Sign Language. So I like to talk. And then I have a Master's of Divinity as well. Oh, that's awesome. My husband just got his, uh, his he got his master's while we were married and then he got his doctorates recently. And he turned his uh, thesis into his first book. And That's so cool. is that how you ended up with your first book? Um, uh, no, actually, my first book was on multiculturalism. <laughs> or my, first th- my, first, my thesis was on multiculturalism, sorry. My first book was a passage out of Lamentations that really just stuck with me. And I couldn't stop wrestling with it. And it's actually called Dare to Hope, which was long before the podcast Have Hope Will Travel. Apparently, right. I like that word. And then my second book was, I lived abroad for a year as a missionary. And so I just collected stories from the 11 different countries that I spent time in and released it originally as a donor gift, but it's actually become a book that a lot of people love just to get a glimpse of what God is doing around the world. And it's called Jesus Shoes. That's so great. Okay. So I just realized why you and I get along so well. You're like the girl version of my husband. (laughs) That's That's so funny. His, uh, his book is, um, a reason for hope. Sure. Oh, now I want to go check that out. He's a missionary goes to all the countries. I I was a missionary too. Once we had kids that changed how I, how I did that, but, um, that's so great. Okay. So Jesus shoes, is that what you called Mm -hmm. your book? Yeah. Jesus. That's really, and elaborate on that one a little bit. So that was the one from, um, the 11 different countries missionary stories. So I called it, the subtitle is following his footsteps across the Latin American mission field. Um, and it, the title comes from wearing Chacos every day for a year, which um, a lot of people will call Jesus shoes. So uh-huh. that's the title came from, but they're all just short little stories about a thousand words each. So it's a really, really small ebook um, highlighting what God was doing in the different places, what we saw him doing, how we saw him growing us, sharing the stories that may not have had space otherwise. That's so great. Maybe we'll have you on here on another episode about how to write a book because I know so many people who would love to. And nowadays it's so much more doable than it ever has been in the past. For and sure. so we'll have to plan a second episode for how to write a book, but let's jump I would into love the that. topic. 
Okay, awesome. Which is um, how to bring your faith into a secular work environment. <clears throat> now, mm -hmm. most of my mm -hmm. listeners are either stay-at-home moms or working moms. Well, it's one or the other, really. Or, I mean, not all of them are moms, really, but um, but most all of them have had some experience or are currently in a secular work environment if they're not staying home with their children. And so some of these, um, merging those two worlds, I feel like there's kind of this constant tension in a believer's heart of feeling that ongoing mandate from Jesus, I should be sharing the gospel. Um, but then that's where the breakdown comes in because we're like, how do I share the gospel in my workplace without getting fired or without being the weirdo on the team? Or, yeah. you know, there's so many like hurdles to jump that we don't all successfully jump. So how can a believer be a light in a secular environment without coming off as Christianese or super spiritual? Yeah, I will say that I've done it well and I've done it incredibly poorly. So the job I'm at right now, I've actually had since before I was a pastor. So that wasn't something that I brought in with me, but I was straight off the mission field when I started this job. So ever since the beginning, I viewed this role as a missionary position. And my very first email that I sent to everybody introducing myself included the line, I love Jesus. <laughs> that turned some people off. Yep, sure. It also turned some people on. So uh -huh. it was really interesting. And there were a couple of like, for lack of a better term, lukewarm Christians who weren't really sure what to do about their faith, who were inspired by it. So that was awesome. And then there were a couple of people who had like bad experiences with the church and they just weren't thrilled with me to begin with. But it's been six years and I feel like I've got a good relationship with everybody now. So that was a nice hurdle that I created for myself from the get go. <laughs> but the real reality is I get to spend 40 hours a week with people who aren't going to come to church on Sunday. Um, some of them grew up in the church and decided it just wasn't for them. Some of them are of different faiths. They have no idea that they're spending 40 hours a week with a missionary pastor. But what does it look like to build relationship with them and then to invest in them? And it looks like celebrating their life events, asking about their holidays and focusing on the common ground, um, which means... In December, I wish them a happy holidays. I'm not flaunting my, it's Christmas. It's not, it is Christmas, but it's a lot of other holidays as well. And so what does it look like to love them well, even in that season of like, hey, Passover is coming up in a couple of weeks, or um, my Jewish coworkers just celebrated Purim. How can I celebrate that with them and reading the book of Esther um, and getting it right? Like I, they gave me some, what I called Esther cookies. Yeah, that was the wrong term. They're Haman cookies. Um, oh. Why? Why they named cookies after the bad guy, I don't know, but they did. <laughs> um, so like learning, okay, oops, wrong kind of cookies. Mm -hmm. But then also letting questions of faith come up and letting them be the first ones to answer. Because I don't want to come across as the know-it-all, even though I may have an answer to the question. It helps me figure out what they believe and what they know and what they're curious about. Then when they ask me questions, I'm honest about it. If they ask me what I'm reading... I'll tell them, hey, I just discovered this new translation of the Bible that I'm absolutely loving. Or um, when I was reading the five love languages on my lunch break one day, they're like, Katie, is that a work appropriate book? <laughs> <laughs> really? 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 Um, but instead of me answering, actually, one of the other non-Christians answered and was like, oh, this is what that book is about. So letting um, them have those conversations around me without forcing it. And if they're like getting really off base, I might jump in and be like, well actually, this is what my book is about. Um, but 
just letting the conversation go. Yeah. I kind of love that. Um, I don't, uh, yeah, I, I like the idea or the, the point that you made or almost like a principle of like, you're going to let them be the first ones to answer their own questions. Um, because I think that does a, it nurtures them thinking through and like taking on like a learning attitude, a learning approach to their own curiosity. Um, and it kind of takes the, the pressure off of you and it creates less of a me versus you and more of a, uh, an engaging cooperative conversation because now they're participating on both sides of the conversation. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, absolutely. That's so great. I love that. Okay. So can you share a testimony or a couple of examples of, um, of people or just even from yourself and your own experiences that did this well of like, maybe you even saw someone do it that you're like mm -hmm. kind of modeling after in your mind or whatever, someone who was a light without being weird. Yeah. So uh, I've seen it modeled in a lot of different ways and I've seen it done well and I've seen it done poorly. And so getting a chance to learn, especially from those poorly done situations. Um, like I remember one particular coworker had run to the coffee shop or whatever, and he came back just really thrown off. And I was like, what's going on? And he goes, you're never going to believe what somebody just said to me in the parking lot. And I was like, oh, tell me. And he goes, well, I'm kind of a magnet for things like this, and I don't want you to be offended. And I was like, tell me what happened. And he goes, well, this guy came up to me and said that I have demons in me and he could see them and he was going to pray for me and they were going to go away. Gosh. And in my head, I'm going, okay, evangelist, I see what you were trying to do. Really bad approach. Yes. And my friend, my friend was like, I mean, I was going to talk to him more, but I told him it was rude to tell somebody they had demons in him and the guy walked away. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I, Holy Spirit gave me a line in that moment. And I said, I am so sorry for the things people say claiming to be in the name of my Jesus. If you have questions about Jesus, don't go talking to strangers. You come talk to me. Yeah. Um, and we built relationship there. And this particular gentleman is a magnet for evangelists. Like, he huh. calls them crazies. He's got a new crazies story at least once a month where somebody <laughs> has tried to share the gospel with him and it just usually goes poorly. Um. But I've become a safe place to hear those stories. So I've learned a lot about evangelism from my non-Christian friend. <laughs> I love that. You know, that's so funny. I bet the Lord is like probably trying to teach him. One day he'll get saved. He'll be an evangelist. And the Lord's trying to teach him. Here's how to not do it. <laughs> right? 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 And uh, I'm learning in the meantime. Here's Don't don't start a conversation telling someone they've got demons. Oh, my gosh. So uh, I appreciate that story. So maybe what's an example? Because I, I actually I wanted yeah. to jump into that a little bit. Um, yeah. My and I are, uh, there's a gentleman, a minister we've pa partnered up with who, his name is Paul Watson, I think. And he, um, he's kind of spearheading, actually his father has spearheaded the discipleship movement around the world. Um, but I was talking with him a couple weeks ago and he said he likens, he, he kind of had this epiphany of why that approach is not helpful. And he said, it's kind of like the parallel of if you go on a first date and the guy is too forward and just like goes for the boob, like on the first date, you know what I mean? Like, Hey guys, don't do that anyways. That's just rude. But I mean, like the approach that he had was like, a guy has to like, well, maybe that's a terrible example. <laughs> Actually now I'm like, unless you're married, even then. Um, but anyways, and so, but the point he was making was like, you would slap a guy in the face 
for treating you like that on a date. And Christians kind of the same thing where religion and spirituality and faith is such a deeply personal, intimate subject that if we just dive in with like no built trust, no permission, no sense of privacy or respect for where they're at, then it just feels violating kind of like a guy doing that on the first date, you know what I mean? Or, right. or any date. And so, um, I appreciated that example because I was like, you're right. And I always hated when I was young and I'd get thrown out in street ministry on missions trips and stuff, I personally always hated street ministry because now there's a place for it. And, and I know some people who are great at it. Me, not so much. I'm like, I'm more relational. I'm like, if right. we sit and talk coffee or if we even sit on the airplane next to each other, we'll end up talking about the Lord in conversation. But stuff that's so aggressive like that, I could never quite connect with. And so... What are your thoughts on that little bizarre analogy? I yeah. just gave? <laughs> no, I'm the same way. I am much more relationally based. I am not someone who talks to my seat buddy on airplanes. I, at a previous job, had a, um, it was a Christian company, had a Christian boss. And every time I had traveled, she'd be like, who'd you talk to on the plane? Did anyone come to meet the Lord? And I'd be like, whoa, chill. Like that was not my job. Um, and it used to, I used to feel guilty about it just because she's always asking, well, like, did you share the gospel with your seat buddy? And stuff like that. And I mentioned it to another friend who's really good at the street evangelism thing. And I was like, surely he does it all the time, has got some tips for me. Like, I honestly was kind of expecting him to shame me the same way my boss was. And he's like, I never share the gospel with my seat buddy. If Holy Spirit puts me up for it, okay, fine, I'll do it. But even then I'm like, I don't want to do this. And so it gave me the freedom to not feel obligated to do it. And so what I found translating that to work is building relationships with them and investing in my coworkers and then letting them ask questions or answering questions honestly when they ask me. So like I think about one particular coworker, he and I were sitting together, the only two in the room working, we were like folding flyers or something. I don't know. We were going to be there for a while and we were going to be pretty uninterrupted. And he said to me, kind of with no context to the conversation whatsoever, can I ask a question? And I said, sure. And he said, if Christians think that God is love, why do they hate gay people so much? And I said, wow, you're starting out with a zinger. And so we had that conversation. Um, And then uh, I live in Minneapolis. And over the summer um, after George Floyd was murdered, this same coworker wasn't feeling safe in his home. And I had invited him and his wife over to my home if that was going to be a better solution for them. and just kind of talk, we had talked through some options. Um, that wasn't a good solution. They really wanted to, to stay home, but they didn't think they were going to get any sleep that night. And I, we're all, we're texting. And I said, would it be okay with you if I prayed for you? And he said, well, I wouldn't ask for it. Second text, but I wouldn't judge you for it. And so I took that as a yes. And so I just, I mean, it was four sentences, like give them good rest, peace, protect their house. Like that simple. Um, That's always one of my goals. If I get the opportunity to pray over somebody, do it in 30 seconds. God doesn't need a lot of time. Just do it fast. So you you made your point at that point. So it was a three sentence prayer via text message. And he texted me back and he goes, my wife really appreciates it. Nothing about himself. Another text. And I'm glad you thought of us. And I was like, okay, maybe I took that too far. Um, And I just let it go. We didn't talk again. I mean, the world was, this was when the world was shut down pretty heavily, um, at least in our area at the time. 
so we were engaging with work stuff, but it wasn't like privately like we did. And then, I don't know, maybe a month later, he texted me separately and started a conversation and kind of ended the conversation with a little bit of a clumsy text that essentially said, I grew up in the church. Now I'm a diehard atheist. I'm not used to people like you of faith who aren't trying to force their faiths on me. Um, and he goes, and I know you've been to school for religion and I just, I wasn't expecting that. And I thought, oh, maybe I didn't take it too far when I had prayed for him over the summer. And that's what it looks like. And that's where it sits right now. And maybe we'll get to continue to have conversations and maybe that's the end of our conversation. But I hope that down the road, my coworkers, even if they don't get to meet the Lord while I'm with them, they go, oh, I remember Katie. Katie was a Christian. Katie was really nice or whatever adjective they're using. Um, so what does it look like to love like Jesus in that capacity? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Jesus. That's that. I mean, I feel like where we run into the hurdles is, and this kind of leads into my next question of, of what are some hurdles that you've encountered being a Christian in a secular environment where your faith conflicted with your workspace. But mm -hmm. I feel like what you just described, um, how to like loving people like Jesus, it, I feel like the most pure, solid, straightforward model that we can look at is of course, how did Jesus, he was surrounded by a secular environment. You know, in fact, he didn't even hang out with the religious people because <laughs> they didn't even recognize him, you know? And so he was all with all the secular and the way he handled it. And I loved that he wasn't afraid, like Jesus didn't mince the truth, but he led with love. And the, and he always like, his love always ministered to their needs. And I think that's like a huge way that we earn the right to speak into their life is by, by yeah. not just showing love and being kind, but actually meeting felt needs. There's a phrase that we use in our college ministry um, that says, uh, love finds a need and meets it. Mm -hmm. And when we find a need and we meet it, we're demonstrating love. Jesus is like, Hey, feed the, feed the, feed the hungry and give money to the poor and give water to the thirsty and clothe the naked. Those are all felt needs. And I, I feel like those kind of demonstrations of our faith, mm -hmm. um, make a way they, they, they go before us to, to build trust and build, um, uh, uh, and a rep, not a reputation, but that we're reputable with them, you know, and they yeah. feel like they can trust our voice more. Um, so what would you say are some hurdles that you have encountered that you've had mm -hmm. to navigate, um, especially if it conflicted with your personal convictions? Yeah, that's a solid question. And I want to acknowledge that my workplace is probably different than most workplaces in the sense that my team is really open to others' opinions and beliefs. So for me, honestly, it's not as big of a deal because everyone knows I'm a Christian. And as long as I like keep my Christianity over there and I'm not forcing it on them, they're okay with that. Mm -hmm. The same way we're okay with our, our atheist coworkers or our Jewish coworkers or whatever we've got. We're all really open to recognizing everyone's different. And that actually makes us a stronger team together because we can see different perspectives. Um, so I appreciate that. But there have been times when it's been awkward or like I call it reverse culture shock of things that I didn't expect to happen. Like I used to wear a, or I was gifted a multicolor bracelet to share the gospel. And I thought, this is awesome. My team is so observant. Somebody's going to ask me about my bracelet and I'm going to get the chance to share the gospel. It's going to be great. I know they, did, they didn't notice for like a week. Oh. And I thought, uh Oh, like, why is no one asking me about my bracelet? 
And then someone did finally ask. And I realized why no one had asked about it for a week. Because he thought it was a gay pride bracelet. (laughs) And so his question was more like, was I coming out or was I standing in solidarity? And needless to say, I did not wear that bracelet anymore because it did not serve the purpose that I had been trying to use it for. Right. That's hilarious. Yeah. That was the moment. All the things we tried tried to like get a little segue, but. Right. It, it, that one flopped so bad. So, okay. So I'm just thinking through like my experiences in the workplace. And I think that that the tension that a lot of Christians feel is like this heavy sense of mission of like, Jesus is coming back. I've got to share the gospel. Disciples stood in city squares and shouted to crowds. You know what I mean? Like kind of this like radical demonstration, which I mean, I think we fail to recognize that probably culturally back then, that was probably a normal form of communication because they didn't have the internet. They didn't have like I mean, like, I don't know how they communicate. I know they wrote letters, you know, but maybe that was somewhat of a normal form of communication to stand in the city and tell everybody things, you know. But um, I think what I appreciate, the more that I get to know the father's heart is like, he has this, this, this way of like, there's urgency, but there's not impatience. Mm-hmm. And there's a heavy mandate, but there's grace that it's light enough to carry. You know what I mean? And he's like, he's like this juxtaposed essence all the time. And so I feel like how, how have you found is the simplest way to walk in the peace and the grace that like knows your heart is for him. He knows you're serving him. He knows that you're going to walk in obedience if he opens doors versus that ongoing sense of urgency and mission that could make us maybe try to jump too quick or be too aggressive or, you know, do you see, I don't know if I'm saying that. Yeah. No, I see what you're asking. And I think what helps me stand in that tension is just the experience of times when I've tried to jump too quickly going really poorly. Um, (laughs) And at the end of the day, like regardless of how poorly the situation went, especially with my coworkers, I still have to see them tomorrow. (laughs) And so I can't burn bridges with them because I have to see them tomorrow. And I need to work with them tomorrow. It's not just like we have different offices on opposite ends of the building. Like these are the people I'm with all day, every day. I mean, without COVID, right? Um, So what does it look like to make sure that I'm maintaining the relationship with them? And to put the relationship above, above everything else. I can't try to force my agenda on them. Which I'm sure for some Christians are kind of going, ooh, but you still have to share the gospel with them. Yeah, I do. But you know what? Sharing the gospel looks like loving them well. It looks like doing my job well. It looks like serving them well. Um, I had one particular coworker who made a goof this week. And I couldn't take responsibility for the whole goof, but I could take responsibility for the like goof that we needed to make as a solution to the first goof. And I said, put my name on it. Like, I don't care. We can. I can send out the email. I don't, I don't care how you want this to do it. And he's like, really? And I was like, yeah, it was a mistake. You didn't do it on purpose. And now we're correcting it. Like... No one's going to get mad at me for it kind of thing. Um, and so what does that look like? And then a lot of times the the evangelism and the hard work actually doesn't happen at work. It happens right here on my couch when I am praying for them, when I am working and asking the Lord for ways to invest in them, when I am knowing that something's going on in their lives and I'm praying over them, or if I know that they're having surgery, I'll set a reminder for the time that I know their surgery is and pray for them at that exact time. They may or may not know that's happening, 
but there's still something changing in my spirit towards them and in their spirit towards God. Like I'm petitioning for them on my knees, whether they know it or not. Yeah. And I don't know how many people that are listening have like, I think we've all had moments where like, it could be the most bizarre thing. Like you're staring out the window and a bird flies by and suddenly you get this revelation about the greatness of God. You know what I mean? And it's like the tiniest things can, can trigger this, this journey, the Holy spirit can take them on. And so when we're just, I think faithful to live out the fruit of the spirit in our life, which is what I think that you're saying is like the fruit of the spirit is evident. Um, the spirit works with that, that gives him substance and that that's not a pass. That's not a free pass to, to be cowardly and never share when the opportunity presents itself. But I think that those little moments, like we forget, ultimately the word says that no one can come to the father unless the father draws him. And so there's such, like you're saying, the evangelism primarily happens when you're sitting on your couch praying for them because we have to invest in the invisible work that God has to do in their heart in drawing them to himself. And maybe a lot of the times the pressure we put on ourselves to be over evangelistic is actually because we under underemphasize the role God plays in this situation and yeah. we overemphasize the role we play. Does that yeah. make sense? That does make sense. And, and I think about the idea of like, it takes, well, for the example, use 10. It takes 10 steps for someone to come to Jesus. I may just be step one or two. I might never get to see them come to know the Lord on step 10, but my step one or two or step five or six, whatever step it is, makes a difference. And so what does it look like to make sure that I'm taking the steps when I have the steps, but not forcing them all the way from one to 10? Like no one wants to hit high gear on your first day. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And I think all of this all points back to again and again and again, the relational nature of the Mm -hmm. gospel. I mean, because we even see in scripture where Jesus, people would come to him for salvation and he'd be like, I don't know if you're cut out for this. (laughs) Like he'd almost like try to talk them out of it, you know? And so I think sometimes as believers, we realize you're not just trying to like have someone pray a cute little prayer. Like Mm -hmm. the gospel is legit and it can cost you everything. And so we're not just handing out this little track and hoping they pray a cute little prayer and whew, they made it. It's like, you're literally like people, especially in different parts of the world, they could be handing over potentially their future by, by signing mm-hmm. up for serving mm-hmm. Jesus. I mean, really we all do, yeah. but for them yeah. it could look like death, you know? And, um, mm-hmm. I mean, we've encountered those people in different nations that are, that are close to the gospel. And it kind of, it kind of brings back into perspective, like there's a serious cost with following Jesus. And so we don't want to be in a hurry to make quick converts because the goal is not just converts. The goal is people who are going to love and follow Jesus and know Mm -hmm. him, you know, and does God want all to be saved? Absolutely. And that is really the goal. But I mean, like walking with people relationally is going to bear so much more fruit than a hasty, urgent, fear-based, fear-driven, share the gospel reading, you know? Yeah. I uh, will say that I hate tracks to be completely honest. I hate them. They will come in to work periodically more often than I would like. Um, especially our receptionist, like people try to share the gospel with her all the time and she gets a track and usually we end up laughing about it together. But at some point in the conversation, I say, Hey, can I see that? And I will take the track and I will start reading it. And they're always terrible. And as soon as I hit the first sentence that involves something involving shame, I rip it up and I throw it away. 
in front of my coworkers to say, Hey, this is not, this is not the Jesus that I want you to know. Um, and I might not say those words exactly. I'll usually say my, like, I'm sorry for the rude things people say claiming to be in the name of my Jesus. Um, but it's just that moment of like, Katie's with us in this. Katie loves Jesus, but Katie doesn't, doesn't follow that kind of methodology. Yeah. Okay. Now let me ask you something. This is a little more culturally like relevant. I feel like it's something that we're, we're kind of in the peak of with our culture. There's kind of this trend in the church for Christians to be so culturally relevant that they become biblically irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Where it's almost like we trade the fear of the Lord um, and walking in holiness and walking by the word of God with like a holy reverence for him Mm -hmm. for, I don't want them to feel judged or I don't want them to feel da da da. And I feel like that's the tension I feel frequently, especially as a church leader, as a pastor. I feel, I feel like the, the more that time progresses, I feel the, the importance of walking in the fear of the Lord more and more and the importance of clinging tightly to what the word asks of us. And so how do you draw that balance? Because I think a lot of people will run into that, especially I work in fashion. So half of the fashion industry is gay. You know what I mean? And so like, like constantly I'll, I'll be confronted with situations where it's like, well, I don't endorse that lifestyle, but I totally completely love you, you know, and and I don't hate you because of your lifestyle. I love you. You know, how do you, how do you walk in that tension as a Christian? That is a great question. And one of the things that I have to remember is the Bible is, for lack of a better term, like the rules for me, the expectations for me. My non-Christian co- coworkers and friends, they don't have those same expectations on them because they don't know Jesus. So I can't hold them to the same standard that I'm going to hold myself to. So what does it look like to live my own standard, my own ways like trying not to complain and not playing cards against humanity and those kinds of lifestyle choices that are right for me, but I'm not going to shame them for if they want to play cards against humanity, I'm just not going to participate. And so what does it look like to make sure that I'm holding myself to the standard that I feel like the Lord is asking me to uphold and then not trying to force my standard on them. And with that, like you had mentioned um, the LGBTQ community, I may or may not agree with their lifestyle, but that's their lifestyle, not my lifestyle. So it's not a lifestyle that I'm going to do. But at the same time, unless the Lord really says, hey, I need you to confront this person, there's no reason for me to tell them that they're wrong or to condemn them or to do anything but show them love. My my name's not Holy Spirit. He's my best friend, but it's not my name. And... <laughs> And even if I think he's prompting me to do that, that's one of those words that I'm going to want confirmed like six or eight times before I say anything that's going to be condemning towards them. Because I feel like the Lord has called us to love one another. And so what does it look like to love them well and to honor and support them and to be an ally for them? Especially right now, as we're talking about racism, educating myself and to learn what's going on in their community. Why do they feel this way? What does scripture say about this? And it says that we're all created equally and we're all created in God's image. And so what does it look like to make sure that I'm sharing that lifestyle with them of love and of compassion and of caring for them and genuinely wanting to know what's going on? One of my favorite managers that I've ever had is a gay man. I love working for him because I love the way that he 
interacts with people. I love the way that he honors people. I love the way he honors his husband. And so what does it look like to say, hey, I really appreciate you as my manager. I don't need to include, I don't agree with your lifestyle. It doesn't matter in that moment. And then what does it look like to learn what I can from them? Like I had talked about my Jewish coworkers earlier. I was going to be preaching a passage from the Old Testament and I wasn't tripping over it, but I thought I have a great resource here. How can I learn from it? And so I took one of my Jewish coworkers is also a rabbi. And I said, hey, this is the passage I'm preaching. I would love if you have any insight. And we went out to lunch and we sat down and I refer to that lunch as the time the rabbi taught me how to read scripture because <laughs> he had his scriptures in Hebrew that he's translating on it on the fly as we're chatting. I've got it in like the NIV or whatever I had and we're comparing and we're contrasting and we're noticing uh, translation differences and he's pointing out things that I would never have noticed before. And he taught me how to read scripture in that day. And then a couple months later, he was preaching the faith chapter in Hebrews 11. And he go 11, Hebrews 11, Hebrews 12, uh, one, of, one of those two. Oh. The one that talks <laughs> about all the heroes of our faith. And he said, hey, Katie, I'm preaching New Testament today. And I was like, you're what? And he told me it was the faith <laughs> chapter. And I said, I can't think of a better person to preach that. And he goes, if I have any questions, can I ask you? I said, of course. I mean, so we just built relationship there and to share our common our commonalities. That's so great. I just love that. Um, I know. I feel like, uh, hold on. I had a thought. Where did it go? Um, I love what you said about the Bible is my manual for living. It's not theirs if they haven't subscribed to and surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, basically. Like we make a commitment in our, in our salvation to live by his word and people who haven't signed up for that they haven't made that commitment and so i think that's one of the places where christians end up in un like unhelpful territory is when we take our bible and we try to oh my gosh like perfect example i went to a church that's a denomination that's different than mine and they don't wear pants and they don't you know they have a high modesty standard um and and I was explaining to her that I work in fashion because we were asking questions about each other. And she was like, oh, she was like, I worked for a, a fashion company in Israel. And she was like, oh, is it a modesty company? And I was like, no, it's just fashion. And I said, we, I just style people how they ask to be styled. And she was like, oh. And then she got kind of put off by it. But I was just like, I get so aggravated. And I think this is what Jesus got aggravated about with the Pharisees. And when he called them whitewashed tombs, where it's like we try to make people conform on the outside to the neglect of their hearts. Yeah. But the only way yeah. to get to people's hearts is through relationship, through trust building, through rapport, through um, skin in the game, you know, with that person. Mm -hmm. And so... I feel like that's kind of the message I hear coming through all of your responses is like, if you're not invested in the heart and, and in relationship mm -hmm. and in prayer for these people, you're not going to make a difference. You're going to be that obnoxious Christian who is like right. a resounding right. gong. They're religious, but there's not love. And so, um, mm -hmm. anyways, that, I, that, that always drives me crazy when we try to conform people on the outside. Okay. So what is a wrong belief or a myth that the church believes about making a difference in their workplace that you would like to to correct and maybe we've, we've kind of hit on a lot of them I guess naturally in conversation but is there anything else you can think of that would be a myth to correct yeah um yes I do have one so the idea of like 
the individual working next to me 40 hours a week isn't interested in God. Um, and I think a lot of it is because a lot of my coworkers have heard the gospel before. They grew up in the church and were for whatever reason or whatever capacity that means hurt by the church or hurt by people in the church. The church doesn't hurt people. People hurt people. Um, and so I often believe that they're not interested or they've already heard it or whatever. And so I use that as an excuse not to to go there, honestly. Um, and I had shared the story with you the other day. There were four of us sitting at lunch the other day. And in what, however the conversation came up, one of them goes, hey, what are the names of the seven dwarves? And so we're listing the seven dwarves as, this, as if this was like a pop quiz. And then one of the other ones goes, now can you name the Ten Commandments? And of the four of us, there's me, two people who are Jewish, and another man who was raised in the church but isn't in the church anymore. So between the four of us, we should be able to get the Ten Commandments. And I did say I memorized them all in a song form, so I've got them for you if you need them. Um, <laughs> and they're like, we don't want to hear the song. It's going to get stuck in our head all day. And I was like, yeah, it will. Um, and so the conversation moved on. Like we, They named a couple of them, and the conversation just moved on. But I happened to notice the guy who was raised in the church had pulled out his phone and actually was looking them up. Uh, so, yeah, he's heard it before. He was confirmed Lutheran. Yeah. He's heard it before. And he's still got some sort of curiosity. And I don't know what that looks like. And I'm not going to force my beliefs on him at this point. But there's still some sort of, I at least want to know the knowledge. Um, and maybe maybe that's a thing. A lot of my coworkers were very knowledge hungry. The things that we have learned just because we've gone in some tangent, like quizzing each other on the seven dwarves or um, like the history of the shoe company Adidas. Like we just learn random stuff. We love knowledge. And yeah. so maybe it was just a knowledge interest. But at the same time, maybe there's something more and I can just play it by ear and see what happens. Then the other thought that I have is they're only going to reject me if I reject them. So if I'm not interested in what they have to share or I'm not interested in investing in their lives or celebrating their milestones with them. Um, one of my Jewish coworkers had his daughter. Um, I don't remember if it was a dedication or a baptism or whatever. She was born into the Jewish faith, whatever that looked like. Um, and I didn't ask this question. Somebody else did, you know, like, why wasn't she just like born Jewish? Um, and so he educated us on this is what it looks like. And I think the term they actually used was conversion which is a little bit of a weird term for me to use, but that's the term that they prefer. And so how do I celebrate her conversion? While I wish it were to Christianity, how do I celebrate her conversion to Judaism? Because it's really important to my coworker. Yeah. And so if I reject that, like you should have raised her Christian, like that's not going to get us anywhere. Um, and then if they do reject me, either I've rejected them or they're rejecting God, not me. And so how do I separate that of like, yeah, they're mad at me because of what my God says or because of the God I follow. They're not interested in Jesus right now, but how do I still love them well in this moment and in our relationship? And how do I still invest in them as an individual, regardless of if I ever see change? Cause that can't always be the goal is to expect people to change, to look like me. The goal just needs to be to love them well in this moment. Yeah. And I think what you're describing right there, <laughs> me of the passage where Paul talks about that we should be a Greek to the Greek and a Jew to the Jew and in yeah. all things be all things to all men that you might win some and yeah. I think that scripture yeah. like perfectly describes what you're describing is like mm -hmm. you're not forsaking your faith to celebrate what's important to them you're becoming a Greek to the Greek and a Jew to the Jew and you're winning them you know what I mean and so I love that and then the thought before it where we think that maybe people aren't interested like 
the word also says that God put, he wrote eternity in our hearts. And just like, like I've marveled times before where um, children who grew up in an abusive environment with their parents, many times you'll find that no matter how old they get, there's always a part of them that wants to reconcile that relationship. There's always a part of them that wants to have some kind of a relationship with their parents, even if it has boundaries, even if it was strained or whatever, there's just something in them that always wants to go back to that parent. And, you know, some people have to embrace that they can't, but to me, that's such a picture of the fact that it's because that's their DNA. They share DNA. Their parent is written in their heart, you know, in the same way eternity is written in our hearts. God is written in our hearts. And so, no matter what our life experiences are with the church, whether they're great, whether they're horrible, eternity is still written on our hearts that would cause us to continue to just have even a grain of curiosity about who God is because he's our origin, you know? And so we're always going to want to connect with our origin. And so anyways, um, those are great points. Those are awesome. So, well, I just wanted to give you a chance to let people know how they can connect with you. I'm, and if anyone had any more questions, yeah. um, you're welcome to reach out to Katie or you can mm -hmm. shoot either one of us a message on Instagram or um, anything like that. But Katie, go ahead and let them know how they can connect with you. Yes. So on Instagram, I'm at Katie Axelson. That's K-A-T-I-E-A-X-E-L-S-O-N. On Facebook, Katie Axelson Writer, and then katieaxelson.com. If you have additional questions and want to email me or start a conversation of see what this could look like in your workplace, katie at katieaxelson.com. Awesome. That's so easy. Um, now, there is, <clears throat> at the end of my episodes, I do a life hack segment. <clears throat> Was there any kind of life hack that you felt like I would love to share this. I do. So in the context of the conversation we've already been having, I would love to challenge individuals who are working outside the home, regardless of what that capacity looks like. And if you're working in, in, in your home, like you're a stay-at-home mom, figure out what it looks like in your world. I just don't have experience there to be able to tell you this is what you should do. For those of you who are working, pick one or two up to five one for each day, people to pray intentionally for in your workspace. Invest in them individually. Pray for them every day. Set a reminder on your phone to go off. Mine goes off at nine o'clock every morning to pray for every single one of those individuals and to see how your world changes. Yeah. I'm, I'm pointing at you and grinning because I just recorded an episode on prayer and that was the life hack for my episode yesterday. Nice. <laughs> So yes, I love it. And that's actually the guy, Paul Watson, that's his strategy, how they're reaching all these people as they put them in their calendar. And so I actually have one for every day. Yep. And so I have someone in my calendar for today. And I shared a testimony last week about how I reached out to a couple that had came up on my calendar and I prayed for them just in a text message. And she messaged me two days later and was like, we've already seen God answer all those things you prayed wow. for. And I was like, that's amazing. That's awesome. And so, awesome. and I love that you brought that in at the end because evangelism is meant to be driven by the Holy Spirit. If it's driven by us and our ambitious Christianity, it's going to get complicated and weird, you know, mm -hmm. but it, when it's driven by prayer, like you're suggesting, it just invites the Lord into the process and only he can get into the heart of a person yeah. and create yeah. situations that are natural 
like he can do, you know, it's just awesome. So, so. If that was the life hack you've already shared. Let me take it a step further. Go. If you're already picking one or two or five individuals that you're praying for, look around your workplace and see who the other Christians are and invite them to do the same. So I was overwhelmed by the number of non-Christians I worked with, and I wanted to be able to pray for and invest in every single one of them. Well, there were way too many for that. So I thought I could probably do five. That's one for every day. And hey, this coworker is a Christian. I bet they could do five. This coworker is a Christian. I bet they could do five. And I didn't even know who all my Christians were because I would ask them, who else should we invite? I called it an experiment. Who else should we invite to be part of this experiment? Who else should we invite to be part of this experiment? And all of a sudden, every single one of our coworkers was covered, about five people per person. That's amazing. I love that. That's so great. Yes, I love that. That's awesome. This is the perfect life hack for this episode. I love yeah. it. Well, thank you so much, Katie, for coming on the show and sharing your knowledge and your experiences and just your passion for bringing the Lord into the secular work environment. It's, um, it's such a blessing to hear and uh, such a necessary topic. So, Well, thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. Absolutely. Well, you guys, make sure you go check out Katie, katieaxelson.com, and on Instagram, Katie Axelson, and on Facebook, Katie Axelson Writer. Okay. And so make sure you guys go check her out and share this episode with a friend. You guys probably all have multiple friends who work in a secular work environment. And as a believer, we all want to make a difference. So share this episode with a friend and don't forget to rate and review online wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, That makes such a difference and it's such an encouragement to me and uh, it just helps get the word out there. So thank you guys. I love y'all and we'll see you next week. Bye everybody. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. For those of you who've rated or shared this podcast on social media, thank you. Reading your comments and reviews always means so much to me. Listen, let's stay connected. Come follow me on Instagram at Java with Jen, where you can follow the latest and say hey. It's a really great way to stay in touch. Many of you have also asked how you can support the show. You can make donations through the Anchor app or on Patreon, or of course, by sharing, rating, and reviewing on social media and iTunes as well. Thank you to each of you for your ongoing support. Your heartfelt feedback always reminds me why I do this. Until next time, remember, you've got this and God's got you.